Bibles, please turn with me to Luke chapter 22. We're going to be reading verses 31 through 34. I think you're very familiar with the context of this and uh, very familiar with the words as well. Verse 31 reads of chapter 22. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you that he might sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day, before you will deny me three times that you know it. All right? Let me ask you a question. What would you think of your pastor if he swore and cursed before a teenage girl? Well, I would imagine he would certainly be reprimanded, probably would be dismissed. And that's the way most of us would handle things. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see how Jesus handled a, a, a very similar situation in the scripture today. So, there are three characters that are here in these verses that I've read. There's Satan, there's Simon, and the Savior. So I want us to learn a lesson from each of these in these verses today. <clears throat> First of all, the lesson from Satan. What is in a name anyway? The word Satan actually means adversary. And if you don't think he's real, you just try to have a regular time to read your Bible, or a regular time to pray, or certainly if you go out to witness, notice how many interruptions you'll have. Notice how many things will show up all of a sudden. Because Satan doesn't want you to do those things that have to do with glorifying the Lord. Jesus taught us to pray, deliver us from the evil, and actually... In the original, that says, deliver us from the evil one. Now, Satan is called a lot of different things in Scripture, and we can learn a lot about Satan from looking at these names. He's called the slanderer. He's called the accuser of the brethren. He's called the devil. He's called the serpent. He's called the deceiver. He's called the dragon. He's called the father of lies. He's called the God of this age. He's called the destroyer. He's called the tempter. And he's called the evil one. He is not a figment of an imagination. He is personal. He is real. He is cunning. And he is a very cruel enemy. The Bible says he's a liar, a thief, and a murderer. Now Jesus believed that he was personal and not just a personification of evil. And you see, Satan, one of his methods, even in our day and time, is to deceive you into not taking his person seriously. You remember uh, the comedian that came out with that little saying that everybody thought was so cute and laughed at, the devil made me do it? 
You see, that's just Satan's attempt to try to get us not to take him and his nefarious schemes seriously. Now, think for a moment about his plan. Jesus told us that Satan would like to sift you as wheat. Now, don't ever think that Satan leaves you after you've said Because you see, before, uh, he was behind your back and just pushing you and encouraging you along. And now that you're in Christ, he's in your face and he'll try to do anything he can to discourage you or to deceive you. Now, the Bible says we don't battle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers in high places. You know, uh, uh, Satan wants to uh, sift you as weak. I don't imagine I'm the only older one who remembers in the days we have to sift the flour. Do some of you remember that? That was one of my chores that my mother would give me in the kitchen because the flour had a lot of lumps in it. You would just use that little old hand crunch sifter, sifter and, uh, and you know that's exactly what Satan is after. Just like we try to get those lumps, Satan wants to identify those lumps. They're your strongholds. They're your temptations. And he wants to use those to come against you. Now folks, understand that there's a great difference between uh, satanic accusation and Holy Spirit conviction. You see, whenever Satan tempts you, he sort of comes in a vague way like saying, you know, you're not any good. You don't really love God. Things like that. But whenever the Holy Spirit convicts us, he is definite. He says, you shouldn't have told that lie to your wife. He says, you, you, you shouldn't have talked that way to that uh, clerk there in Walmart. In other words, He's very definite. And whenever the Holy Spirit uh, comes to convict us, there are three things we can remember. I call them the three C's. First of all, there's conviction. God will definitely put His finger on that which He is convicting you about. Then, He wants you to move from there to confession. Anytime we fail, anytime we do wrong, God is willing when we repent to forgive us of that wrong. And then, once we repent, there comes that third seed, the cleansing. And there's nothing like having your heart clean and your sins forgiven. You know, in 1 John, we're told to test the spirits to see whether they're God or not. And there's a wonderful way to test the spirits. Whenever something comes to your mind that you're in doubt about, compare it with what the scripture has to say and you'll come out alright in this matter of discernment. You see satanic accusation is always accusation to guilt and despair but the Holy Spirit will be clear and specific. Now he mentioned Satan's power. Jesus said uh, to Peter, I have prayed for you and when you uh, get turned around strengthen your brethren. Aren't we glad for conjunctions in the English language? You know, we can say, man, I was feeling so terrible this week, but I just got on my knees and prayed, and now I'm feeling all right. Conjunctions are important. I loved, uh, I was a missionary in Korea, and I, I knew a little bit of Korean language, and they had a conjunction called Karachimana, 
You know, they would say, this, 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 this is true. Karachimana, here is the answer to that. And we're so glad for those uh, kind of things that can remind us that we have an opportunity, an advocate, a savior, a direction in which you would go. You know, <clears throat> Satan is not all-powerful. Satan is not even omniscient. But he can study our lives and he can tell those things that are our weaknesses and those things which he can attack us in. But God is using the adversities and temptations that come from Satan to really strengthen our lives if we look to him. You see, you don't sharpen an axe in butter. You find some flint to sharpen it in. And God allows difficulties and even temptations to come our way in order to strengthen our faith, in order to make us stronger people. So that's the lesson that comes to us, uh, first of all. And now let's move on to the lesson from the Savior. You see, verse 32 through 34 that we've already read tells us that Jesus said, you're going to give way to temptation and you're going to deny me. That tells us that the Lord knows all about us. Now, He doesn't only know what we're doing. He knows what we're even thinking in our hearts. John 10, 28 says, I know them, and they follow me. And I give them to them eternal life, and they'll never perish. Neither can any man pluck them out of my hand. For the Father who gives them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. He does know us. On Wednesday night, we've been looking at an overview on the book of Revelation. And you remember that Andy was talking about the seven golden candlesticks? And he said that Christ was there in the middle of the seven golden candlesticks. The candlesticks stand for the churches. So Christ is always near His church, always near His people. He never leaves us, never forsakes us. Now, <laughs> does it surprise you that nothing ever surprises God? I'm telling you, He knows all about us. But the second thing about the Savior's lesson is that He still keeps loving us. And he doesn't love us because we're good, because we're not good. The Bible says while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And uh, there are other scriptures that tell us that. But you know what? Even though, even though we may be sinful, even though we may fail, we still belong to Him. We're His children. We're a part of His family. And He's never going to turn loose of us. He makes also provision for us. Let me ask you a question. Was Christ's prayers answered when he was here on earth? Yes, I believe they were. And I'm sure you've read the 17th chapter of John, which I think is the real Lord's prayer. And Jesus in that prayer is praying for his disciples. But he also prays, I pray not only for them, but those who will come to believe after them. So you see, just as Jesus prayed for Simon, he looked on down through the centuries, and he is praying for you and me. The Bible actually says that he's at the right hand of the throne of God, interceding for you and for me. 
So, the same Christ that prayed for uh, old Simon Peter also has prayed for you. He ever, ever lives to make intercession for us. Now, do you believe that once a person comes to know God, he will always know God? I certainly believe that. You might be saying, well, you Baptists, y'all believe in once saved, always saved. You better believe we do. And I'll tell you, I don't believe it because it's a Baptist doctrine. I believe it because it's a Christian doctrine. I want to tell you this. He that has begun a good work in you shall perform it in the day of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, you know, when, when uh, Satan was being tempted here in the scriptures we have today, I wonder if you and I had been living in that time, if we would have made a discernment between those followers of Christ. You know, there were 12 of them. Jesus said there are 12 of you, and one of you is a devil. Well, if there was anybody that seemed to stumble and fall and get off track and jump before they really looked, it was Simon Peter. We probably would have guessed that Simon, he's going to be the one Christ is talking about. We would have probably, in Judas's slide, ordered way, quiet and his moving, and thought that he would certainly be one who would be steadfast to the end. But of course, it was just opposite. We don't know, but Christ knows who belonged to him. I love what one of my seminary professors used to say, the faith that fizzles before the finish had a flaw in it from the first. And that's exactly right. God's love is like a giant rubber band. We may stray so far, but if we belong to Him, there will be that pull that brings us back to Him. I love the theology that's in a lot of our hymns. I love that one that says, The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose. I will not, I will not, desert to its foes. Now, let's learn a lesson from Simon. First of all, we learn that Simon sin. What made him fall into that sin? I think we can identify at least four reasons here. First of all, there was pride or self-sufficiency. Jesus warned He said, Simon, you're going you're gonna to desert me. And, and they're going to come and strike the shepherd and all of you. The sheep are going to flee. Simon said, not me, Lord. I'm willing to die for you. I'm willing to go to prison with you. Jesus said before the cock crows, you'll deny me several times. So the Bible would tell us to be careful about our self-sufficiency in our Sunday school lessons this morning. We learned from uh, King David that when you're in the pit or when you're in difficulty, the first place is to turn to him, not to your own sufficiency. The Bible says that him that thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. The Bible says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. There was not only pride, there was prayerlessness in his life. You remember when Jesus was facing the greatest difficult moment that he ever faced. It was when he was headed to the cross. And he took Peter and James and John with him and went up to a place to pray. And he said, now, you pray over here. I'm going over here and I'm going to be praying. 
And after he had poured out his heart to God, he came back and they were asleep. Then he said, look, stay awake. You know, can't you watch with me an hour? And he went out and he prayed again and he came back and they were asleep again. And then he went out a third time and he prayed, pouring his heart out to God. Uh, if this cup can pass from me, uh, allow it to, but nevertheless, your will be done. And he came back and they were asleep again. So, I think a second cause that caused Simon Peter to get out of obedience to the Lord was his prayerlessness. Then, I believe there was a third fact, and that was spiritual ignorance. Now, uh, he had had the greatest teacher in the world. He had been with him for three years. Christ had explicitly told him that he was going to die several times. And he had warned Peter that you're going to slip away. You're going to deny me. But Peter didn't learn. He was spiritually ignorant. Now, folks, let's not put the blame on Simon Peter. Did you know that God has given you this book right here? This book will tell you what you need to know. It will strengthen you against temptation. It will give you guidance. It will give you comfort. But most Christians today don't read their Bible very much. God has written a personal love letter to us. And so many do not read it at all. Well, spiritual ignorance was a third factor in Simon's sin. There was a fourth factor, and that was wrong company. Now, you remember what your mother used to say, birds of a feather do what? They flock together. Our, our mothers had some good old homespun philosophy, didn't they? And there's a lot of truth in that. Now, the Bible doesn't teach that we're to be haughty as Christians. We are certainly not to give a holier-than-thou attitude. We're in the world, but we don't have to be of the world. But I want to tell you, if you hang around in a social sense with people who have no regard for your Savior, it's going to have a negative effect on you. And young people, I would especially warn you, this is one of the chief areas in which Satan attacks young people because young people want to be in with the crowd. Stick to Jesus. Your life will be much more fulfilled if you just stick to Him. All right? Simon then also suffered. Did you know that the most miserable person in the world is not a lost person? The most miserable person in the world is a Christian who's been there, who's walked in obedience, who's walked with the Lord, who's obeyed the Lord, but who has gotten away from the Lord. You see, the lost person doesn't know what it's ever been like. The saved person does, and when he gets out of that fellowship, he is most miserable. So, Simon suffered. Uh, Simon uh, Simon also strayed, and Simon also served. Here's what I love this, by which I can conclude this morning. You know, after the death of our Lord, the disciples were in despair. They just, they didn't know what to do. They were confounded. And finally they went back to their old habits. That of fishing. 
They got on the Sea of Galilee there in the boat, but I'm sure their heart was not really in things. And uh, John and Peter were sitting up toward the front of the boat, and uh, John begins to look. Is there a uh, getting closer to the land there? He says, Peter, that, that looks, that looks like, it, it could, that is, Peter is the Lord. It's the Lord. Peter stands up, looks carefully, sees that it is, jumps out of that boat, and makes his way to the land. And if we hold to grasp, here is Jesus Christ, God of all gods. He is the one that created this world and all the other planets. And he takes the stars and numbers them by name. And he's breathed breath into every one of the billions of people who've ever lived upon the face of this earth. And what was he doing? Fixing breakfast for the men he loved. I don't think there's a more beautiful picture of the humility of our Lord than right here. I'm sure that they're just numb. They don't know what to say. They don't know what to do. Presently, Jesus speaks. And he addresses Simon and said, Simon, do you love me? Simon said, Yes, Lord, I love you. Jesus said, Do you love me? And then a little bit later, he said, Simon, do you really love me? And Simon said, Yes, Lord, I really love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Then the third time, he said, Simon, do you love me with a godly, a godly love? Simon said, yes, Lord. I love you with a godly love. Jesus said, feed my sheep. You get the idea that he wants us to feed the sheep, don't you? You know one of the most wonderful things to do when you repent is get out and minister in the name of Christ to others. Do you know that the way the world knows we belong to Him is the way we relate to others? So yes, Simon sinned, he suffered. But he also, according to God's grace, served as well. And we come <clears throat> today to celebrate the Lord's table. Jesus told us that uh, it's important that we do this. Jesus also told us that whenever we come to this table, we're not to take it unworthy. And people who struggle with the meaning of this, they say, I'm just not worthy. Well, if you're a Christian, you're worthy because the worthiness of Christ has been put upon you. But when we approach this table, we to examine our hearts. If there is unconfessed sin there, we to confess it. If there's any bitterness there, we will confess it. If there's any unforgiveness, we've not extended any. We will confess it. To do so otherwise is to take the table unworthy.